Hey, y'all. I'm Malcolm. I'm the other. I'm the other pastor here at, Mos- at Mosaic, and we and we are going through. We're going through the Sermon on the Mount. We're probably going to do it over the course of the next year. But we start off with the Beatitudes, and so and so and 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 and, and we're and we're a few months and we're a few months in. But I want to remind you that each of these nine blessed statements are pictures of the Christian life. And so today, today we get a particularly beautiful one. Normally, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to press us into the material, the material applications of each of, these, of each of these texts, and it's going to make us uncomfortable because I'm going to get all up in your business. But this one is mystical. So let's read it together. Matthew 5, 8. We're all going to say it together three times. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Again, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. One more time. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. When you think of the word purity, what's the first thing that comes to mind? I'll give you a second. I think think for some of us, when we, think, when we think of the word purity, it's often in the context of something, like, uh, of something like sexual purity or some other kind of moral purity like that. Well, the word, all the word means is, is all, all the word pure means is clean, uncorrupted, unmixed. And the heart, according to the scriptures, is, is the seat of your being, the center of your emotions, the, the center of your will. So then what does it mean to be pure of heart? What's Jesus talking about, and how how does it link up with the rest of the Beatitudes? Well, let's take a look at where we've been. So the first Beatitude was, blessed are the poor in the spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this, it's a a present tense description of the believer. It's, it's, It's Jesus saying that the one who is united to him humbly cares for the poor. And it's not just about spiritual poverty, it's about material poverty. Paul, in Romans 12, 16, is going to say, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. It's an interesting verse. He's not saying, do not be proud, but instead be humble. That's what you might expect. But instead he says, the way to avoid pride is by associating with a particular type of people. Because it's not just about how you think, it's about, it's, about, it's about who you hang out with. It's about the way that you mobilize what the Lord has given you. Blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who emotionally recognize the injustice of the world and who recognize their own sin. Blessed are those who react with holy emotion to those things. Blessed are you when you, when you weep, not only over your own sin, but over the injustice that you see in the world. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the nonviolent, those who live lives of gentleness because they are the ones who ultimately win, not those who use power to, to dominate. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. The believer is to be known by their fervent desires. The, the believer is supposed to be the one who hungers after righteousness like food and thirsts after justice like water. Blessed are the merciful, The people of God are called to be a people with deep wells of compassion. And this one, 
I don't think I knew until, until I preached at the first service how, how central this beatitude is. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We've, we've had beatitudes about action, about emotion, about desire, about reactions to injustice. But this one, this one is the most internal. This one is perhaps the most properly spiritual beatitude. This beatitude is about intention. Why do you and I do the things that we do? For example, why are you sitting in this pew this morning? Are you sitting here out of obligation? Well, this is something that I got to do, so clearly I'm going to do it. Maybe out of habit. Maybe you're here just because your friends are here. Maybe you're here because you grew up going to church and, 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 and this is just what you do on Sunday mornings. Well, Jesus, when he says that the pure, that the pure in heart are blessed, he's, he's, he's telling us that those who follow him have intentions that match up with their actions. That is, there's, there's, no, there's no guile or no, no two-facedness with these people. What you see is what you get. And sometimes it's helpful, sometimes a way for us to understand things is by seeing their, their opposite. And so the opposite of this purity is the religious leaders that Jesus comes into contact with in his ministry. Luke, 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 has, Luke has, similar, has similar beatitudes to Matthew. He says, blessed are, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And then, but, then, but, with, but with his beatitudes, there are woes right next to them. You got blessed are the, blessed are the poor, woe to the rich. Blessed are the hungry, Woe to those who are filled now, so on and so forth. Matthew saves his woes for Matthew 23. So we skip, skip ahead a few chapters, and we get the curses that Jesus offers. So let's take a look at Matthew 23, verses 25 to 28. You may recognize them. We confessed some of it this morning. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Slim and I have a, 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 a podcast that we do on occasion, and we have this, there's like a timer. How long does it take for, for me to mention the economy? Um, and, and, and you might think, because you just keep seeing all these texts about greed, you're like, why is Malcolm keep talking about greed so much? Well, it's because Jesus talks about it all the time. I, when you ask Jesus, what's an example of what impurity would look like? What does it look like for the outside not to match the inside? He refers to greed and self-indulgence. These are the most dangerous, two of the most dangerous things that our souls can be subject to. Greed and self-indulgence. That is, that is this, this desire to constantly accumulate for ourselves, greed, and self-indulgence, the, the, the exaltation of our own desires over the desires of anybody else. It's where the first question that I ask whenever I do something is, well, how does this benefit me? How can I get more? These are, the, these are, the, these, these, these are two examples of the kind of impurity that, 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 that Christ is telling us to marshal ourselves against. But, here's, but here's, what makes, here's what makes Jesus, I think, most upset in this text. And it's when we put up a front. 
It's when we indulge those things and then tell everybody that we're doing it for the Lord. The Lord would much rather that we just come to him and confess our wickedness than try to keep a holy face in front of our friends or whoever we're trying to impress. But that's really hard, isn't it? Think about a first date. Think about a first date situation. When you sit down on a lunch date with somebody who you just met, or even just when you just first meet somebody, you generally don't spill your deepest, darkest secrets like before the salad comes. You wait until like dessert. That's when you save it. No, but you want to put your best foot forward, right? But the issue is that, every, is that, is that for most of us, we, we, we want everybody to think that our best foot is our only foot. We want to appear pure, appear righteous, to appear generous, to appear sexually chaste, to appear pious, to appear like, like good Christians. But our faith, brother, brothers and sisters, is not about appearances. You may be able to fool your neighbor, you may be able to fool your family, but you cannot fool the Lord. And there are four ways that we can think about our actions. Doing the right thing for the right reason, doing the right thing for the wrong reason, doing the wrong thing for a noble reason, or doing the wrong thing for the wrong reasons. Most of our sin fits in that last category, doing the wrong thing for the wrong reason, which, which, which ought to remind us that our confessions to the Lord ought to be a little more comprehensive than they generally are. What do I mean by that? Let's say that I am harsh with my wife, a sin against her and against the Lord. My confession to the Lord and to her has to not merely be, I'm sorry that I was harsh with you. That ought to be a part of it. But I have to do some, I have to do some interrogation because that harshness is an overflow of the heart. Luke 6.45, Jesus says, A good person brings good things out of the good stored up in their heart, and an evil person brings evil things out of the evil stored up in their heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. See, the Lord is after purity, that the mouth, the heart, and the actions all match up in holiness. They can also match up in wickedness, and that's also a kind of purity, but it's pure corruption. Well, what about doing the, right, doing the wrong thing for a noble reason? Think about uh, stealing to feed your family. Or perhaps more controversially, killing in self-defense. Doing the wrong thing for the right reason, or so we might think. Um, there is no, there is never, this is, this is, and this is one of the reasons why, they, why there, there, are, there are fewer of these situations. Um, if your reason is right, uh, there, is, there, is, there, is, there is never a right reason to do the wrong thing. But that's not most of, most of our dilemmas are, are not, are not in, those, in those categories. A lot, one, of the, one, of the, one, of, one of the issues that we have most often is that we want, is that, is that we do the right thing for the wrong reason. This is something that we are experts at. Giving to the needy because it makes us look good. Helping someone else because it helps me in some way. Maybe it's coming to church because I want to appear to be this good church-going family. All of these things are good things. Helping the needy is a good thing. Helping other people is a good thing. Coming to church and worshiping with your brothers and sisters, good thing. 
But what the Lord is calling us to do is think about, why do we do these things? Do I give to the needy because I know that it's what the Lord has called me to do and because I know that it pleases him and because I know that it helps my neighbor whom I love? If that's true, well, then that's going to push me to continue to do it more. That's going to push me to continue to do it more wisely, to build those habits. If, if that intention is there, then it's going to continue to drive me to that action. But if I'm just doing it because this person has just come to me and this person is really inconveniencing me, and, 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 and so just to get them out of my face, I'll, I'll fling a dollar in their direction and never think about them again. And what's that going to do? It's going to callous and harden my heart. So then you might ask, do I just have to like wait until I have a really until I have really good intentions and then do what the Lord tells me to do? Do is is having the wrong intention enough to stop me from obedience? No. Because here's the thing. Your intentions over the course of your life, you're always going to have imperfect intentions. That doesn't stop that doesn't that doesn't remove the call of the Lord on our lives. What we do in those situations is we do what the Lord says, and then we pray after the fact that by his spirit, we'll enjoy it the next time. This is, what, this is a practice that is often called discipline. After I, if I have not been, if I have not been in the gym for months, let's say, and I get back, and I get back in the gym, uh, the worst of the days is leg day, Get back in the gym, work out, and the next few days are terrible. They're terrible. They're painful. And, and it, could be, it could be the case that you experience that pain, and you're like, I'm never going to do this again. Or you keep at it. And as you keep at it, that, so, that soreness fades. So it is with the spiritual disciplines. Consider the spiritual disciplines, prayer, silence, meditation on the word, fasting, living a simple life. All of these are good things to do, things that the Lord has called us to do. And yet they're all things that are profoundly inconvenient. But here's something about the Lord. The Lord doesn't just tell us to do random stuff. When, when, we, when we live in the way that the Lord has called us to live, that we, 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 we come to find that that's actually how he created us to live. And with the spiritual disciplines, the more that you engage in them, the easier they get because you start to see their worth. The Spirit starts to use them to change your tastes and to change your intentions. James, James says it starkly in James 4, 7. He says this, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded double-minded. Purity of heart, and here's a, here's a wonderful definition of purity of heart. Purity of heart is single-mindedness. The double-minded person is concerned about God and the, wor God and the world, and, or God and yourself, or God and something else, and the Lord says, focus on me. Focus on me, and I've got that other stuff. The call to be pure of heart is a call to think more simply, it's basically one question that we need to ask when, when we're about to make life decisions. Does this bring glory to God? If not, something else I got to do. Or for moral decisions, does this, does this help me love God and my neighbor better? Is this an expression of that love? If yes, go for it. If no, don't. But here's the other thing. 
uh, the more steps that it takes for me to get to a yes, the more of a hint that is to me that I'm just trying to justify something. Let me say that one more time. The harder I gotta work <laughs> to get to a yes, the more of an indication that ought to be to me that that's actually not a direction I need to be going. <laughs> it's often the case that the things that the Lord calls us to do, they may not be easy. They're not easy. I mean, there's, there, there is a, there is a the, life of, the life of the cross is a life of suffering, but it is simple. To be pure of heart is to be a person where your intentions match your actions. It means that your acts of love are fueled by a heart of love. It means, that, it, it, means, it means that your acts of generosity are fueled by a heart of generosity. It means that your acts of kindness and hospitality come from a cheerful heart, not a begrudging one. And who is the paradigmatic example of this one-track mind? A heart perfectly aligned with his actions and a soul that's fixed immovably on God the Father. You guessed it, it's Jesus. The Son of God was focused on one thing and one thing only throughout his entire ministry, the cross, and showing his people what the life of the cross was. His healings were part of that one intention. His, his miracles all pointed in that one direction. His words all pointed in that one direction. Even the very paths that he walked pointed in that one direction. I think about, I think about John 4, when, when, we're, when, when we're told that Jesus on his journeys had to go through Samaria to get where he was going. Well, that's, that's not exactly true. To get where he was going, he could have taken a number of different routes, but he had to go, to, he had to go through Samaria because there were people that he had to love on that road. One thing drove him, the logic of the kingdom of God, the power of the kingdom of God, the love of his father, obedience to his father, and a love of his people. Everything that Jesus did came, came down to that. It's what sustained him on the cross, because as painful as crucifixion is, as, as torturous and, and, and foreign as it was for him to become sin and to take our sin on him, one desire and one intention fueled him through all of that, and it was his desire to save you and I. One of my favorite texts on purity comes from John in 1 John 3, 1 to 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Now, if purity of heart is oneness of intention, single-mindedness, What's so great about it? What do we get out of that? Second half of the beatitude, if you remember, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The first thought that ought to come through your mind when you hear that is, wait, wait, what? Because no one can see God, right? I mean, it's what the scriptures say. Exodus 33:20. God tells Moses, "You cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live." 1 Timothy 6:15:16. 6, God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. 
1 John 4, 12, no one has ever seen God. That weight of evidence seems to suggest that no one has or can see God. And yet, Jesus seems to be saying that there are some people who are definitely going to see God. So what do we do? Do we have just a do we have just 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 just, just an, 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 a, 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 a contradiction that we can't disentangle? Do we just throw the whole the whole of the scriptures out? We're done. That's it. I'm going to stop preaching because we're we're done. No, of course not. See what these texts are affirming is that the Father, as spirit, is invisible, but also is maximally holy. And because we are flesh, and because we're especially sinful flesh, we cannot look upon God. We can't. In a few months, we have a, solar, we have a, we have a total solar eclipse. The moon will pass in front of the, the, moon will pass in, uh, uh, in front of the sun. And, 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 when we, and, and, and even then, don't look at the sun... You'd still have to wear special glasses because you, can't, you still can't look at the sun. You could go blind. Well, looking at God would make you explode, basically. So, what's going on here? Well, let's take a look at John 1.18. Because there's a pretty, there's a pretty, there's a pretty big, big butt here. John 1.18. No one has ever seen God, but... The one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. That is, you have not seen the Father, and you can't. You never will. But, actually, you will, because you're going to see the Son. And seeing the Son is just as good. As a matter of fact, the entire purpose of the incarnation was so that God might be seen. And this is the, and this is, this is the mind-blowing thing. About, about the incarnation because, because God could have revealed himself to us in any way. It could have been, so like, with, think, think about the ways that, uh, that angels are actually portrayed in the scriptures to the extent that like whenever an angel shows up to somebody, they're terrified because if you read the book of Ezekiel, like so a lot of angels have like, you got eyes all over and it's impossible to describe. God could just like show up like that and blow everybody's minds and it'd be terrible, really. Or he could do what he chose to do, which was, he, which, which was take on flesh and live a perfect human life. That is, he created us to be in relationship with him. He created us to live lives in union with him. And when he wanted to show himself to us, he's like, okay, how am I going to do it? I'm going to show them how this is supposed to be done. That's an act of love. That's an act of love and condescension where, 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 where because the Lord loved us so much, he didn't, he didn't just leave us to kind of figure it out on our own. No, he's like, I'm going to show them how it's done. And I'm going to do it myself. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Jesus is telling us that those who live with purity of intention and, and act will see God, not only in the end, but now. Yes, we're going to see the Lord in the new heavens and new earth when he returns. Yes, it's going to be awesome. We'll be made completely clean. There will be no more sin, no more struggle, no more tears, no more grief, no more pain. It's going to be wonderful. But the thing about the kingdom of God is that with every not yet, there is also a now. 
And because the kingdom has come, because Christ has taken on flesh, lived, died, and was raised, the kingdom has come, and we can see God now. The one who lives with purity of heart can see now the ways that the Lord is working in the world. And I can testify to this because, because when, when, the, when, the, when, the, when the Lord and I are in the groove, when I'm, when I'm in the word, when I'm in prayer, when I'm focused on love of him and love of my neighbor, I can see the way that the Lord is working. He, he starts, to, starts to put stuff in your path, uh, opportunities to love, opportunities for the fruit of the Spirit to grow, opportunities for joy, opportunities for hope. You can, you can see the way that the Lord works in other people's lives. You can see the way the Lord's working in your life. And the thing is that what that, what that sight does is it, is, is it then equips you to continue to live the life that God has called you to live. Because the pure in heart get to see God now— and later. And the thing is, only the pure, it is only if you are pure in heart that you can actually have that experience. And so, so I want to, so I want to, I want to, I want to throw something in here. I want to throw in some, 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 some spirituality that we learn from the Eastern Orthodox Church. When we think about seeing God, we tend to think of what the Western tradition calls the beatific vision. That is the that, that, that is the happy sight. That is what we, what, what, what we look forward to at the, end, at, the, at the end is when we will be able to see Jesus face to face. The beatific vision. But the Orthodox Church sees that as something that ought to be, that something that we need to be actually regularly preparing for. And so there are, there are, these, there are these three steps of Christian growth. And the steps are these, purification, illumination, and deification. I'll explain each of them. Purification means that by discipline and obedience, it means our hearts and minds are made more pure. Illumination, that is like a, just think of, just think of a light illuminating a dark room. That the Lord, when the Lord does this purifying of us by his spirit, what he also does is he reveals to us his own heart and his own mind. He purifies us and also shows us who he is. And the, and the purpose of that is what's called deification. That is, that we are made like God. Now, don't get scared. I'm not saying that you become the creator of the universe because that would be blasphemy. Instead, what I'm saying is that God's intention has always been, through Christ and by the Spirit, to make you like him. In love, in joy, in power, in a number of things. When, when, we, when we confessed our faith this morning, we confessed these things about, about God, that he's infinite in being, glory, blessedness, and perfection, all-sufficient, eternal, unchangeable, incomprehensible, everywhere, present, all of these things. Now, I am not saying that the Lord is going to make you omnipresent. He's not. I'm sorry if that was a hope of yours. It's not, it's not going to happen. But there are a number of things that God is that he wants us to be. For example, he's most wise, most holy, most just, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth. All of those are things that God also wants us to be. And, and they're things that God, by his spirit, is cultivating in each and every one of us. At any given time, God desires to purify us to illuminate us, and to deify us. That is to bring us into a closer relationship with him than we could ever imagine. 
And when Christ comes back and we're given our new bodies, that, 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 that process is going to be, actually, it won't even really be complete. It's, it's, an, it's something that we will then enjoy into eternity. And this beatitude, like all of the other beatitudes, is an invitation. It's an invitation to be pure in heart because the pure in heart will experience a beautiful sight, the likes of which you can't even imagine. It's at this point, I, gotta, I have to close the sermon because if you get, if you can't, there are spaces that are too wonderful to look into. But I want to take seriously what Paul says in God, about God's wisdom in 1 Corinthians 2, 8 to 10. Paul says this, none, none of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Purify yourselves as he is pure, and you will see God both now and later. What does this mean for us right now? It means that when, 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 when we see this beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, what we're being called to is to prepare for the life that's coming. Because the fact of the matter is, is that when we, when we think about what, what's, what's going to happen when our salvation is made complete, is made complete, we are going to spend the entirety of eternity in the vision of God. That's the promise. The promise is that we will spend the entirety of eternity, we'll spend all of eternity in the Lord's presence. And so the question is, are you preparing for that now? Because the Lord is eager to give you glimpses of himself now. He is eager. He's eager to show you the ways in which he wants to work through you and the ways in which he is doing so right now. He is eager to show you those things. But the only way that that happens is if you're purified. And not just your deeds, but your mind, your intention, such that, such, such that your heart, such that your heart is filled with the love, with the joy, with the peace that the Lord desires it to be filled with. So as we go through our weeks, as we, as, we, as we consider the ways in which we love the people whom the Lord places in our path, my prayer for each of us is that we would ask the Lord to purify us. And that we would ask the Lord to purify us and that when he does that work of purifying, that he would continue to illuminate us, show us who he is, show us your heart, show us your mind, Lord. And bind us to you. Make us like you in, 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 in love, in mercy, in long-suffering, in faithfulness, all of these things. Make us like you, Lord. Let's pray.